Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. One more time, welcome to Reboot Camp, the time of your life. Hallelujah. In this camp meeting, the possibilities of God will be displayed. Did you hear what I said? The church is to advertise the possibilities in God. That's our role. The Bible says he gave him to be head over all things to the church. Meaning the church gets the privilege to demonstrate the headship of Christ above all things. That's what we're here for. Say amen if you believe. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, we honor you. And we thank you. Thank you for giving us the Holy Ghost. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. I'm going to start with something very light. Just (laughs) hallelujah. And then we keep stepping it up as time goes on. Hallelujah. You see, I want to do a profile analysis real quick. There are two categories of people here. And you can see those categories of people metaphorically represented in the story of Jesus calling Philip. The Bible tells us in John 1, Jesus told Philip, he said, follow me. And Philip was excited. Philip became a follower from that day. He began to grow in the word. I will tell you how I knew later. And... So there are many of you who have followed this ministry for a while and you just couldn't miss Reboot Camp. In fact, someone um, tweeted, I think it was around January this year, I was like, I can't wait for Reboot Camp. I'm like, wow. So there are people like that. And then there are others. The Bible tells us, you know, when Philip encountered Jesus and he was growing, he just, he just couldn't keep it to himself. So he goes to tell a man named Nathaniel. He says, come and see the person of whom Moses wrote about in the law. And that's how I knew Philip had been growing. Because from his experience with Jesus, the Bible began to make sense. From what he observed, he could see, oh, this is what Moses spoke about. And he went to tell Nathaniel, like, come, you're going to have a great experience. Nathaniel, uh, because of his growth process, he was still like a consumer type of person. I would call him a seeker. And so Nathaniel responded. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You want me to go see in Nazarene? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And to that, the Bible says, Philip responded and he said, come and see. Nathaniel took that challenge. He came to see. So maybe you're here and you just came to see, like this reboot camp everybody keeps talking about. Let me come and see. And maybe particularly, honestly, you're not even here for spiritual growth, at least initially. Philip was fascinated with Bible doctrine. This is the person of whom Moses wrote about in the law. But Nathaniel was particular about something else. Can anything good? So he wanted something. If I'm coming, it has to count for something. Is there going to be a sign, a miracle? I'm sick. Am I going to be healed? Oh, well, you say he's going to pray for the sick, then I'm coming. Or um, I really need favor from God. A direction, a supernatural direction from God. If, if you say that's going to happen, I'm going to come. That's Nathaniel Gang. That's the WhatsApp group. And the interesting thing is, Jesus has no problem with people like that. In fact, he likes to give them a show. 
oh, you came to see? There's a lot to see. And so, as Nathaniel came, as he was yet on his way, Jesus looked at him, dropped one word of knowledge straight up. And he says, behold, a man with no guile. And Nathaniel was asking around, does he know me? He, he knows me. He must know me from somewhere. Oh, you, do you follow me on social media? You know. And Jesus looked at him and smiled. He said, whilst you were yet under the fig tree, before Philip invited you, so that you don't think Philip told me. I'm telling you what happened even before Philip came. You were right under the fig tree. I saw you. So, I'm saying this to you so that you will know that you are noticed. You came with one ailment and you're like, oh God, if you would just send the word my way. And God is asking me to tell you that he knows you're here. He knows you're here. I saw you saying to yourself, oh, if I would just receive a healing, oh, if I would just be blessed. I, I saw all your requests that you wrote before you came. I saw them. I saw you while you sat by your bedside and made all those requests. I saw all of that. And Nathaniel felt, you know, so blessed. So, like, um, there was a spot-on word of knowledge. I think it was in Port Harcourt or where? It's been crazy. I hope you excuse that metaphor. The past few days, God calling names and all of that, you know. And one of the ladies says she just, she just felt noticed. Like God saw me. Isn't it amazing? You know, something very interesting happened. Um, I asked people, as I was laying hands on them, to write their request on the paper. And so I come close to you, I check the paper, you know, lay hands on you. But the people were so many, even in Portacot, or maybe I was just tired. <laughs> and so I got this, to this particular lady, and I didn't look at the paper, I just laid hands on her. And, you know, she was a little disappointed. She didn't, she, listen, people are at different levels of growth. I didn't have to see the paper. I didn't have to but she was a little disappointed and she went back and I was about to end the service and I said, the Lord, the Lord is asking me to lay hands on someone again and I walked to the middle of the hall, went towards the right and went straight to her and she broke down in tears. So it was after everything that Pastor Tolu Michaels was telling me that she saw her countenance the first time, you know, as I did not, you know, look at the paper, her countenance, you know, and then God just spotted her in, in such a pristine, accurate, forensic mat manner. Hallelujah. And so Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. I know you're here. I mean, there are about a thousand people here, but God knows you're here. Did you hear what I said? I want you to say that in faith. Say, God knows I'm here. And he's ready for me. But yet, Jesus did not stop there. He said, oh, you're fascinated that I said I saw you under the fig tree. You will yet see greater things. And when you hear greater things, you're wondering, what's he talking about? Oh, maybe more miracles. And, more, and all of those things are awesome. But he said something else. He referred to the encounter Jacob had. He said, you will yet see angels ascending and descending this time around, unlike the story, literal, the literal story, he doesn't say ascending and descending from heaven on a ladder, he said, on the Son of Man. Meaning he was telling, are you getting what I'm saying? He was saying, that ladder was figurative of me. I am the bridge between heaven and earth. It is through me that heaven touches the earth, that heaven comes to man, and it is through me that anyone will see the Father and know the Father and get to heaven. And so, Nathaniel is fascinated with his spot-on word of knowledge. And after Jesus had satisfied his curiosity to say, oh, don't worry, you want miracles, you're going to see miracles, he also says, I'm going to teach you about something greater. 
I'm going to teach you about salvation. And here is where you have to embrace the priority of God. That God wants something bigger and more urgent for you than a healing. And he's not excusing your desire for a healing. In fact, healing is so small. I mean, that's by the way. He's going to do it so cheaply. Maybe he will just do it the first night. You came with your mind like, oh, if I just tarry, you know, by the third day, he will raise us up, you know what I'm saying? But that's all you came for, healing. So, he's going to heal you tonight so that you will use the rest of the time to love on him and just focus on spiritual growth. He said, you will see greater things. He said, you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You will have revelation of the Son of God. Say loud, amen. Amen. So I want to encourage you to have a balance of expectations. You see, as we're about to have um, reboot camp years ago, I prayed in the office. Not in my office then was not far from here, you know, Kudurat Abiola. And I heard in my spirit the acronym REACH. You know, and as I would usually do when I hear something like that praying, I pulled up a pen and a paper and I began to write. And the acronym began to drop. And I'm telling you, if you're here for miracles, you're here for just one out of four of the offerings of the Spirit of God for this camp meeting. It's a complete acronym, rich. R for rejuvenate, I for indoctrinate, C for celebrate, H for harvest. Yeah, there's, there's going to be a mighty harvest of souls and miracles. But God has more. R for rejuvenate. He wants to give you a prayer life. You know, we keep saying get your prayer life back on track. Some of you, you have nothing to put on track. <laughs> so let's start with, he wants to give you a prayer life. <laughs> Laugh, but collect yourself. <laughs> so that's R. And that's why you have to realize every aspect of this camp meeting is important. We've discovered that some people, they dodge the prayer times. And we might just take attendance so that if you miss the prayer time, that's it. No more reboots come for you. It's important. Listen, the prayer meeting is going to be very important. Yes, it will be long. You've heard about it. But it's compulsory. Tell the person by the side, it's compulsory. Say, I must see you, I must see you. It's part of the experience. I for indoctrination. God, can I tell you something? If God, you know, answers all your, your requests now, every single one of them, guess what? Not too long after, you will have new requests. There is something more important, something that can stand the test of time. The word of God in your spirit. He said to Mary, he says, he, he said to Martha, he said, Mary has chosen that good path and it cannot be taken away from her. So you choose either to just receive a healing or to embrace the word that can make a healer out of you. Because if you receive a healing, you just might need another one 10 years from now. (laughs) Or someone you know might need one. So what are you going to do then? R for what? I for what? C for celebrate. We just get to worship, bask in the glory of God. Focus on something besides social media for once this year. Hallelujah. (laughs) Contemplate his glory, his work, what he has done in your life, who you are because of what he has done. Did you hear me? And H, I said, for harvest. Now, turn your Bibles, Jude, verse 3. 
Jude verse 3. Are you there? Read together. One, two, go. Jude, verse 3. It says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend. Can you say earnestly contend? Contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. It says, the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The Greek word contend for is one Greek word. It is epagonizomai, and I will tell you what it means. It means to struggle for something. That's something every Lagosian knows about. I mean, that's our daily life. We're always hustling for something because everything is in shortage here. So if you're going to get a boss, you have to contend, epagonizomai. You hustle for it. You know, I've told this story, and it's, and it's true. I've lived in Lagos all my life. So when the Lord sent me to Abuja, you know, I was driving, my first time driving there, and I was just honking the way we honk normally here. Don't look at me funny. You know what I'm saying, you know. And someone actually stopped, wound down, looked at me. What's wrong with you? And I'm like, oh, sorry. Oh. That's how we do that. Oh, oh, you don't do that here. In Lagos, you it to play music. You'll be playing something in the radio and honking to... You know? So it was, it was a new... <laughs> they were not used to epagonizomai. <laughs> That's all I'm trying to say. So some of you are used to fighting, hustling for something. Maybe you are even right here, and you and your friend are epagonizomai for one, the same man. Fighting for attention. It's not impossible. Or the same woman. Maybe that's why you're not talking to each other. Who would they answer first? It's, it's, it's a race now. But guess what? In Christ, you receive a new hustle. You receive a new hustle. You see, your hustle is not ended, it is redirected. And he says to contend earnestly. Not for more money, even though you should work hard. Not for anything, you know, that will make sense to a natural man. It says contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. He's not talking about charismatic mountain-moving faith. He's talking about saving faith. And he's telling you that this message of Christ must remain un unadulterated. It's the natural framework of humanity that when information is passed, can I tell you something? If I try it now, if I tell someone something here, and I say, tell it to the person by your side until it gets to the back, if I call the person at the back to tell you what I said, you'll be amazed. Because it is in our human nature to just remix things to add our own. <laughs> Unknowingly, we just exaggerate. We just, we just bring in our experiences until there is very little left of the message. And so Jude is telling you there must be a paranoia you must have as a child of God. It says, hustle, struggle, contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Make sure that what is being preached on that platform is the same thing that the early church preached. Say amen if you believe. Amen. How do we contend? We're going to have to be objective in our study. We're going to have to learn to study the Word of God objectively. You have to understand that truth is not a popularity contest. It's not a game of popularity. You see, some people 
don't just like change. They just like to be loyal to what they know, whether it is true or not. You can't do that with the Word of God. It's not a political party. You're not a national fan, you're a believer. And so if you discover that the ideology that you so fanatically support is not working, drop it. Tomewa, how are you? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4. I just wanted to see if you were awake. Ephesians 4. From verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Hallelujah. Notice, all ministry gifts have the same purpose. Have you noticed that? So you don't say, oh, I'm not really into teaching because I'm a prophet. Mm -mm. Every ministry gift has one fundamental purpose, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And it says, till we all come in the unity of the faith. You see, like I said in Port Harcourt, what many people define as unity of the faith is the direct opposite of what the apostle is saying. <clears throat> in fact, what they call unity of the faith is unity in spite of faith. That, oh, don't let our differences, you know, come between us. You know, you believe, oh, you believe um, that salvation is by works. I believe salvation is by grace through faith. Oh, somebody. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. That's not what he's saying. It's a good idea to accept people, all right? We can have things in common, even though we disagree on many points. But that's not what this is saying. The word translated unity of the faith actually means unanimity of the faith. He wants us to be unanimous in our convictions. He wants us to speak the same thing, believe the same thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that means if we believe different things, that's not the will of God. And so we all must sit together and have the humility and the openness to reckon that it is possible that we are wrong. It is possible. Drop your bias. It doesn't matter. It's not a denominational game. It doesn't matter how long you've held on to these beliefs. Unanimity of the faith is God's will. Sit down with the word of God. When you hear something that does not align with what you've always believed, your reflex to study on it should be stronger and sharper than your reflex to reject it. Some people, the moment what they hear is not consistent with what they know, they just go on Twitter, they just go on social media, they just, you know, they just want to contradict what you're saying, just want to argue without first asking objective questions. A good Bible student knows how to ask objective questions. Drop the bias. Stop saying funny things like uh, uh, grace people usually is top all those name tags. The word of God is an objective truth. Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter who is misrepresenting the truth of God's word. The truth of God's word remains the truth of God's word. Amen, everybody? And you go to the word of God to see the response that a particular doctrine is to birth. You don't judge by what people say about it. Don't you dare say, oh, if you teach people about the generous, lavish forgiveness of God, that they will sin more. Are you saying that God was foolish? He didn't know what he was doing? Your priority, first and foremost, is to see if this message and the presentation thereof is what the Bible teaches. And there is something the Bible says about righteousness and mercy. And let the word of God be true and all men liars. Look at Psalm chapter 130 verse 4. 
Psalm 130, verse 4. This is very powerful. I want you to get ready to soak it in. Hallelujah. Are you ready to read this together? Read it as loud as you can. One, two, go. Hallelujah. He said, but there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. This is what the word of God says. You know, some people say, oh, if you forgive too much, or if you preach forgiveness, people will cast off virtuous restraints and will begin to do immoral things. That's not what the word of God says. It says the goodness of God drives people to repentance. It says there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be revered. It says if people learn about the forgiveness of God, his lavish kindness, it says they will revere him more. It will drive them to want to know God more. They will say, what kind of love is this? I can't go on in my old ways. What kind of love is this? You know, it, it just, just think about Joseph. In Joseph's day, there were no Ten Commandments. Joseph lived before the time of Moses. Yet, the goodness of his master, Potiphar, made him align. He said, my master has been good to me. He has not withheld anything from me. He has made me master over this house. How can I do this wicked thing with Potiphar's wife and sin against God? It was the goodness of his master. Are you with me? Not the sternness of his master, the goodness of his master. God has chosen goodness as a method. In fact, it's not just a method, it's who he is. And he says, oh, there is forgiveness with you that you may be revered believe that. If the word of God says this is what will happen, this will be people's response to the goodness of God, believe it. Say loud, amen. amen. So as a good Bible student, you sit down objectively with unanimity as your goal and you begin to study what has God said about salvation. Listen, I know there are a lot of people preaching what seems to be salvation message, but I want to understand it. I want to take note of not just the message, but how it is preached. In fact, I want to teach you something I call salvation semantics. The fact that there is a way to view what Christ has done. There is a proper lens through which the redemptive work must be viewed. Salvation semantics. I'm going to show you something very simple but very powerful. Never forget it. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 verse 9. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 4 verse 9. Hallelujah. It says, but now, after you have known God, or rather, are you getting this? Salvation semantics is what I'm teaching you. It says, but now, after you have known God, or rather, are known by God. Why or rather? You know, one proof of spiritual growth is communication. Just like normal communication, you know, um, when a child is still a toddler, they're still learning new words. And as they grow, their expression becomes clearer. And it's the same thing with the things of the Spirit. As you grow, your expressions become more intentional. And so there are some things that might appear to be mere semantics for a growing person that are not mere, they're very important. Why would Paul bother about this? But now, after you have known God, or rather, unknown of God, why was it important to say that in a letter? It makes sense. To correct yourself like that when you're talking, 
But to do it when you're writing, it must be important. Are you with me? So it is more accurate to say that I am known of God than to say that I know God. It's a perspective to my redemptive reality. So one emphasizes my effort. The other emphasizes God's effort. And it makes all the difference. It seems like the same thing. Oh, what's the difference? I know you, you know me. What's the difference? Not with God, it's different. The emphasis is different. And this is spiritual growth, to emphasize what God emphasizes. Are you with me? Many times I watch interviews where um, couples are telling their love story and they ask questions like, who said I love you first? Who, who made, took the first step? Who, you know, and then you now wonder, why is it important? Oh, it's important. It's a crucial part of the love story. And I'm telling you, God took the first step. God took the first step. That's why, you know, these semantics are important. Knowing of God, more important than knowing God. It's more accurate. He took the first step. He came at you. Just imagine, you know, maybe you've been in this church, you know, um, you are of age to marry, you know, and there's someone that you have been monitoring. You have asked about the person. Sorry, what's that girl's name? Okay. You've been observing. Ah, she prays well. So as you are speaking in tongues, you know, you do as if you are pacing the hall, you know, and you observe. Ah, I've been observing, and you're thinking, ah, this reboot camp, I will talk to her. And then, as God will have it, she now came to him and said, how are you doing? You look very nice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Someone's receiving prophecy. <laughs> and I've not heard your voice since then. Hallelujah. Now, that's the true salvation perspective. You know what John said? He said, we love him because he first loved us. That's salvation semantics. A natural person will say, we shall love each other. Mm -mm. Not in the word of God. He would have you know, you love him because, because the proactivity of God is part of his love story. The fact that he did not wait for you to cry out to him before he clothed himself in frail humanity and died your death such that at the time you realized your need for salvation, the provision was already there. Now that's love. That's the proper lens. I want us to read that text, John 419, so you don't forget. First John 4.9. Hallelujah. Put it up. Very simple, short text. Read it from your heart. One, two, go. Hallelujah. I want you to personalize it. Say, I love him because he first loved me. Say it again. Listen, close your eyes. Place your hand on your chest. Say, I love you. But you first loved me. Hallelujah. Now, that's true. So, when you read the Bible, you see more emphasis on the love of God. And can I tell you something? In our songwriting, in our prayer, we must flow with the word of God. 
more songs on God's love. More songs on God's proactivity and proactiveness. Flow with God's word. Reminds me of the story of the elephant and the mice. Both of them were crossing a bridge. And of course, because of the weight of the elephant, the bridge began to vibrate. And then when they got to the other side, the mice smiled and said, hmm, we shook that bridge, didn't we? <laughs> as funny as that is, some of you, that's the kind of view you have with your relationship with God. You think you are rocking it together. Meanwhile, he's the one holding on to you. The Bible says, it is God who walks in you. Both to will and to do. Many people think, oh, I will, then God helps me do. He, he walks in you both to will and to do. It is him from start to finish. So how about you emphasize? Listen, I've told you before, salvation is the utter helplessness of man and the sovereign intervention of God. To not see that way is to tamper with the magnitude of what Christ did. As if to say you didn't really need it. There are different degrees of help. If my pen falls down and you help me pick it up, oh, I say thank you. In my mind, I'm thinking, oh, you shouldn't have. You're just being nice, respectful. But if you do for me what I cannot do for myself, it's a different degree of thankfulness. Don't treat salvation like you had options. And God just was just being extra. Paul said, when we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. You, you have to see that you were without strength. You were helpless. He loves you because you love him because he first loved you. Another very simple but important semantic we need to correct. A lot of people keep saying, oh, have you given your life to Christ? Referring to salvation. Oh, I gave my life to Christ. Oh, no. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. God is the giver in salvation, not you. He's the one giving. He's the one who gave his life. Now, that one is so important, as simple as that is, it's so important. He died for you. He gave his life for you. What you did was to, to receive. Your role in salvation was receiving. Like I said, this is not mere semantics. All through the Bible, God emphasizes that he's the giver. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6, it says, who gave himself a ransom from all? Hallelujah. Say, he gave himself a ransom for me. Emphasis on gave himself. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. For I have been crucified with Christ, <clears throat> It is, no, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and what? Gave himself for me. Say he gave himself for me. Hallelujah. Titus 2.14. Are you in Titus 2.14? I didn't say it's the screen there. I said, are you there? Open your Bibles now. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> Titus 2.14. It says, who gave himself for us? Say, he gave himself for us. He himself. That he might redeem us from 
every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Repeatedly, he gave himself, Galatians 1.4, Galatians 1.4, who gave himself for our sins. So if the Bible's emphasis is that Jesus gave and you received, let it be your emphasis. I received the life of Christ. That's a better way to describe salvation. I received the life of Christ. Can I tell you something? You had nothing to give. The Bible says that the man without Christ is dead. You had nothing to give. Dead. All the metaphors to describe the man outside Christ are bad. Blind, lost, dead. You have nothing to give. He, he met you in bankruptcy and made you rich. That's salvation. Let me give your life to Christ. No. You first receive his life, then in turn, you can give your life in consecration. Not in salvation, in consecration. If you're talking about giving your life to Christ, you can do that in ministry. I devote my, I devote my entire life to the propagation of his message, his cause, the fame of his name, not in salvation. Salvation semantics. Check every God and man relationship. God always took this step. Can I tell you something? Even politically, if the president is close to you, it's because he chooses to. Do you understand what I'm saying? There, there are some people, there are some relationships you will only have by the choice of one person. Do you understand what I'm saying? If it's your classmate and it's, un, it's understandable, you both have something, it's a symbiotic relationship. But there are some people that can only be close to you because they chose to be. Isn't that logic? That's logic. And this is why um, even some other religions like Islam struggle with the idea of God knowing anybody at all. Because of their perspective of how great God is. They call him transcendent. You know, he, you know he's, he's, away, he's, he's not trying to be friends with anybody. But you see, in Christ, we have the revelation of God's love. Not only does he want to know us, he took on our form, dwelt amongst us, paid the ultimate price for our sakes. That's our God. Say, that's my God. But you see, you have to understand, because of how great he is, he had to take the first step. He had to take the first step. And throughout the Bible, you see him taking the first step. In creation, we, of course, we did You know, it's just like what David said. He made us and not we ourselves. Hallelujah. It's proactiveness. And even right after man sinned, he took proactive steps for his salvation. And then you just come to Genesis chapter 12. All of a sudden, you hear about a man named Adam, Abram. And God said to Abram, leave your kindred, go to a place that I will show you. I will make your name great. You know, so now you're wondering, what did Abram do? Like, I wish I had more background studies about, you know, his faithfulness, how he began to seek God, you know, how many camp meetings he attended before he entered into that dimension, you know, of revelation gifts to be able to hear God. No. By sovereign choice. Hallelujah. God just interrupted the schedule of an ordinary man because he can. Did you hear what I said? That's God taking proactive steps to have a relationship with a man. And then one day, he brought Abram, 
whose, later, who, whose name was later Abraham, to the land of Canaan. And he said, know for sure that your children, you're more like many generations after you, they will journey to Egypt. They'll become strangers in that land, slaves in that land. I will bring them out with a strong hand and I will bring them here. And here they will worship me. According to the word of the Lord, you know all the story with Joseph and how the Pharaoh rose up that knew not Joseph and his family oppressed, you know, the Israelites there. The children of Israel were not crying out to God. They cried, but not to God. They cried because they were being whipped. Yay! And God said, I heard their cry. Are you with me? I heard their cry. He remembered his word to Abraham. I heard their cry. So now look at God. Oh my goodness. It is one thing to trust God for a miracle when it, as it pertains to charismatic ministry, but it is totally different in salvation. God was the one taking these steps here. These people did not even know him. God was the one even giving Moses signs to persuade them for their own deliverance. Are you getting this? Look at how, how far God went to get Moses' attention. Set a bush ablaze that was not consumed. So Moses was looking, began to talk to him, gave him signs, throw your rod on the floor, your rod on the floor, floor, it turns to a serpent, pick it up, you know, all of that. The mighty signs he did to bring them out with a strong hand. Guess what? These Israelites, they grumbled every step of the journey. Every step of the journey. Because God was the one taking proactive steps towards them, not the other way around. I've taught on this in another way. I called it the revelation of Jaira. The fact that God does not wait for the need of salvation to arise before he takes proactive steps to provide a lamb for himself. Say loud, amen. This is so important. So all of that I said to say this. Embrace the salvation semantics. We are here celebrating the faithfulness of God, independent of your faithfulness. So we only respond to his faithfulness, and rightly so. Say loud, amen. amen. His love is steadfast. Your own fluctuates. Like epileptic power supply in this country. <laughs> Celebrate his steadfast love. That's the right approach. Say loud, amen. So now, go with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to read from verse 3 to 7, there about, if we have time, and then begin to wrap this up. Hallelujah. It says, I love this. Oh, my goodness. I just might preach on this all day. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. This is the proactiveness of God. All spiritual blessings are in Christ. All. You don't choose the basis of his relationship. Hallelujah. He has decided not to know anyone outside of his Christ. All spiritual blessings are in Christ. No one will be reckoned holy. No one will be reckoned righteous outside Christ. But the sovereign choice of God is not about how good you are, how nice you are, how you try to treat people right. It says all the spiritual blessings are in Christ. 
No matter how much money you have, you are bankrupt spiritually outside of Christ. God has no provision for humanity outside Jesus. The Bible says he has chosen to unite everything in heaven and earth under his Christ. That he might have preeminence over all things. Say loud amen. amen. The Bible says in verse 4, according as he had chosen us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the earth, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He's telling you about the origin, the real etymology of holiness. Not what the English experts call it, but what God ordained for it to be. He said before the foundation of the earth, he chose us in Christ to be holy, holy and without blame. So he predestined that holiness and blamelessness, before it is immoral, it is a position. That in Christ is holiness, in Christ is blamelessness. Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter. Can I tell you something? Look around the world. There are a lot of people who try their best. Check the monasteries. There are people who are not even on social media. They want to be as apart from the world as possible. And they just squat all day, do their hands like this, and they make, you know, they are human. Hmm. All day. And none of that counts. Because it is not what you can do. Paul said, say not to yourself, who shall ascend to the heaven that is to bring Christ down? Or descend to the depth that is to bring Christ up again? Don't be preoccupied with what you can do for your own sake, for your own salvation. It says, what said it? It says, the word is nigh thee, even in your heart and in your mouth. Which is the word of faith that we preach, that if you shall believe in your heart the Lord Jesus, and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That salvation. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the earth to be holy and without blame before him in love. Hallelujah. It says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Sonship will only be reckoned in Christ by predestination. He chose it to be that way and it is that way. Predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. Ah. I love the way he called Christ the beloved. Christ is the beloved. And we are accepted in the beloved. So, acceptance is reckoned in Christ. Did you hear what I said? True acceptance before God is in Christ. Not in your efforts. Not in how nice you are, how many camp meetings you attend, how loud your prayer is, how you walk, circumspect in, in your place of work and everything you do. All those things are nice. But acceptance before God is in His beloved. There's no other way to be accepted. You have to understand this. And so he tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11, this is so important. He says, therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called on circumcision by what is called circumcision in the flesh made by hand, that at that time you were without Christ. Say, I was without Christ. And what did he call you without Christ? Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in this world. Without Christ, you had no hope, no access. No privileges, no, no rights to have any vital relationship with the Father. He says, but now. Thank you, Jesus. But now, glory to God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off, 
Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, are you here today? It says you, who sometimes were afar off, have been brought nigh. How? Were you brought nigh because you prayed? Were you brought nigh because of your faithfulness? Were you brought nigh because of your dressing? He says you were brought nigh by blood. Listen, all of the things we do, our morality, are very important, but are a response to his proactiveness. You were brought nigh by his blood. Say, I was brought nigh by his blood. Hallelujah. He says, for he himself is our peace. Hallelujah. This is how we got peace with God. Not because we are so nice and because we try. Our peace came by blood. Someone took our place, died our death. And now we have access. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Thank you, Jesus. It says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 2, everybody read together loud as you can, one, two, go. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Listen. Don't forget what we call this. Salvation semantics. So as a good Bible student, you must accept the basis of your access. Listen, it is possible for you to know this in your head and still struggle with it in practice. Sometimes you want to pray and subconsciously, subconsciously you're still trained to scan yourself quickly and to see if, you know, you have some bragging rights. You know, so when you think you've tried lately, then you're more confident in your prayer. I've been there Hallelujah. And even if by the Spirit, you must and should walk in a manner consistent with the will of God. I'm going to teach on this, you know, on Sunday. There's a lot to share. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it takes understanding. That every time you think about God, your perception of access is by faith in Christ. What I'm saying, you can only walk in it by meditation. Because can I tell you something? It is human nature to run when you feel disqualified. Nobody told Adam to hide. Nobody told Adam to hide. It's human nature. He just knew hiding was the right thing. When he heard Adam, eh? And some of you, maybe they dragged you here. You've been hiding. And it's because you're actually sincere. You've tried so much. You don't want to embarrass God. Maybe he even told you, ah, he has a call on your life. You're like, eh? Let's not embarrass each other. This is your name. Don't let me use pamoy to soil it. And I appreciate your honesty. But it's not enough. It's not enough. He's going to work on you. Alright? Remove all those inconsistencies. He's a trainer. The best in the world. No one does it like him. Listen, he can call out light from darkness. You think you have inconsistencies? He can make beauty out of your life. But you have to stop running away. He brought you here for a reason. You know what touches me the most? I didn't plan to talk about this. You know what touches me the most about the story of the prodigal son? It is the fact that in your mind, you can feel far from God and be wrong. Think about what I just said. 
You know, a lot of people teach the opposite. That's what we dwell on, that you can feel close to God and be wrong. You know, a lot of people emphasize, um, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom. You know, we've heard that teaching a million times, and I'm going to do, maybe mention it in this campaign and explain the real context. However, that story shows us that you can feel far from God and be wrong. It was all in his head. He thought his father would never accept him. Listen, the reason why he stayed that long, it was a long time. Don't think we're talking about days. It must have taken years for him to squander all his resources, enter into a depression, you know, famine, take a job, run out of resources in that, you know, that time that he began to covet even the food of pigs. We're talking about a Jew who is not even meant to have anything with pigs. Now you are struggling even for their food. The reason he allowed things to go that bad is because he kept saying to himself, my father will never accept me back. I've done what is unpardonable. I can almost bet you, if he knew that the reception the father gave is what he will receive, he wouldn't have almost died. Are you listening to what I'm saying? I'm saying this for someone here. You can feel... Uh, do you know what I've done? You know what I've done? He can never accept me again and be wrong. And be wrong. Because can I tell you something? You can't determine how God will act by how your parents act. You can't. See, God is not your ex. If you want to know how God would act or how God acts, you have to read his word. Because, listen, as good a parent as you, every one of us is, if you tell your child the same thing so many times, you know, the next time he apologizes for the same thing, you will do shakara first before you say, say, okay, it's okay. You get what I'm saying? Maybe you wouldn't, you wouldn't even talk to the child. You say, go and sleep. Or something like that. And you've carried that image about God. And this prodigal son was so sure God would never listen to him. In fact, he did not return back out of repentance. He had a business idea. It was a business idea. Like, okay, you can never accept me as your son. But at least I'm very good at handwork. Let me be one of your servants. Just accept me back. You know, this, he, he said to himself, even servants in my father's house are eating better. That's why he returned back. And as he was coming, the Bible says the father saw him from afar. Question, how come the father saw him? Because he was waiting for him. That's why. All the while, he was hustling. All right? For the food of pigs, the father was waiting. You know what he, the father told everyone? He said, my son was lost, but now he's found. He was looking for him. He was looking for him. Hallelujah. Someone here, God is looking for you. He's going to change your life in this camp meeting. Listen, your, even your family members will be amazed. I remember the time my life changed. I remember. I'd been a church boy all my life, but, you know, there was this meeting. I came back. And I entered. I remember how I walked from that meeting to the hostel. Just slowly. You know, I knew something had happened. First and foremost, I missed half of the meeting. Because all I remember from the meeting was, you know, I, okay, I, I met praise worship and all of that. And then one man just held the microphone, placed his hand on the lactin like this and smiled and said, are you ready? That's all I remember. It was at the end of the meeting they tapped me that, you go sleep here. That's, that's all I, So I missed the sermon. 
<laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? So I was going and I entered my, home, my room. Guys were just in the room and they tried to greet me. I just did. So like, you know, guys, where did they worry this one? You know, I just climbed the bed and I was silent. And I heard one of them say, something has changed about this guy. Someone said it. Hallelujah. Your life's about to change. Just surrender to the Lord. You fought too long. If he's going to have to knock you off your horse like he did Saul, he will. Because there's no way to run. There is no mountain he won't climb up. No shadow he won't light up coming after you. That's why he brought you here. Are you ready for him? Just stand to your feet and worship him. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.